This is such a cool state. I mean, come on, live free or die. You're the state where the shot was heard around the world. That last Senate I don't know if you're aware you're in New Hampshire. People in New Hampshire don't care about money. You can't buy a vote in New Hampshire. They want to see you, they want to touch you. I would like to do small groups, but if we announce that I'm coming to like a restaurant, all of a sudden there's, you know, a thousand people show up. His imagination must not be married to real power. Why not? You just don't want to see us fall backwards. You go to New Hampshire, there are not any minorities there and nobody lives there. Liar! Thank you, New Hampshire. And now, from the campus of St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, the existential flagship of presidential primary activity, your host, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, Neil Levesque, and because every ship needs a rusty anchor, Josh McKelvin. New Hampshire Live starts now. Welcome back to New Hampshire Live. I'm Neil Levesque, the executive director here at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, together with my great cohort, Josh McGelvin, Josh, welcome back. Cohort. Yeah, yes, I know you were busy last week, but... I was, yes, I was. I'm back now. Traveling the world. I heard that your show was, was good with yeah. uh, our friend Mike Blast. I didn't listen, Mike but was, I was told it was good. Mike was absolutely great, very insightful. He's probably one of the most connected people in the state. So if you have not listened to the podcast with Mike Vlasic, I... I'm going to. ...suggest that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard the it first was one. Good. Yes. Yeah, well, you and we have about 30,000 listeners now for this podcast, so we're pretty excited about it. We're moving right along, um, and we've got a great, great guest today, a longtime friend of mine, Stephanie Shaheen. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you so much, Neil. And Josh, it's fun to be here. Right. And I've known I, you for a while, too. It's not I know, just, it's not I just know. Neil. So I know. We can be a little bit on the show. It's all right. It's all right. I've known you much longer. <laughs> um, so uh, if... Interesting last name, Shaheen. If, if you're uh, from outside New Hampshire, you might say, well, Shaheen, well, you know, who's that? Well, uh, you're... What is that like? I mean... Yeah, you're the f you are on. the famous daughter of Billy Shaheen, <laughs> the great lawyer from New Hampshire and activist. Um, and obviously, you're also related to Senator Shaheen. Yes. Um, and in your own right, you're, you're you do right. a lot of things, particularly in your hometown of Portsmouth. Yes. You're on the police commission now. You used to be on the city council. Um, you've done a lot of things in your background. I always joke with you, say, how do you even sleep with so many things? You're a Eventually you bring on your talk. Yeah. <laughs> You're an author yes. uh, with your daughter, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But also, you know, a lot of people coming through New Hampshire are obviously courting, courting you as they're running for president, and you see them up close. So, you know, we're almost out of time. Yes, we are. <laughs> I'll let you talk. How's everything? Everything's great. I love my last name. I'm keeping it, and uh, very proud of it and the hard work my parents do to uh, better the state and my mom better, working hard to better the country. I think it's a phenomenal time to be a Democrat in New Hampshire because we're getting up close and personal with so many candidates who are considering a run for president. So it's a really fun time. And I think Mayor Pete's going to be here this weekend and Senator Booker's coming soon after. So Can you say, because Neil struggles, he calls it's, him Mayor Pete too. No, it's Buttigieg. Buttigieg, yeah. It is. Yes. Yes. So I've been saying it wrong. Yes, yes you said Josh. it wrong in front of him when he was on our podcast. Oh. Yes. But I actually just called him Mayor Pete and just threw in the towel and said, I'm not even going to try. What is that like for you, though? I mean, these Democrats, one of their first, uh, you know, these candidates come up here, they want to carry some favor, I would think, in, uh, with the Shaheen family. So what is that, what's it been like to be courted, probably, the way? Well, it's funny. I think, I think all New Hampshire primary voters are courted, right? So, you know, people expect to be in living rooms and get up 
close and personal and want to hear your feedback and want to hear what your concerns are. So, I mean, to me, as a parent of a child with type 1 diabetes, getting to talk to Senator Gillibrand about lowering prices for insulin, which has been in the news a lot lately, and we know too many people who have been faced with having to ration insulin because they don't have the money to pay for it. Um, so that access for, for everyone in New Hampshire is pretty awesome because you get to raise questions with people face-to-face -face that may not ever come up once right. we get beyond the primary. And that's what happened with the opioid issue in the right. last election. Both right. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton really hadn't been exposed to it. Right. And then they came here and everywhere they went, they said, there's a problem with opioids. And right. of course, that's front and center here in New Hampshire. Uh, what I like about you is you do get out there and talk about it. When it was a crisis of addiction, uh, I think it was you when I was working at Channel 9, you and, and Renee Plummer came on the show. And Chris Blevins. And Chris Blevins, yes. yeah. I mean, getting out there and talking about it is, is one, that's, you know, it's productive and it, it raises the awareness. But two, great point. I mean, this gets on the radar of these candidates who then take the message elsewhere. Right. And that's pretty cool. Right. Well, and I think that's what's so special about getting to be here and to live here. You know, I was raised with parents who taught me that government really is about people, of the people, by the people, for the people. And when people are faced with challenges, crises, and it's happening on a scale like we've seen with the opioid crisis, to put faces and families to these crises make a difference when you can see it. I mean, I was there when Senator Clinton heard from a grandmother who was now raising her grandchildren because her daughter's in the grips of addiction and what that meant to her. And it was a moment. And you could see that you know, maybe for the first time for Senator Clinton, there was a face and a name that went with this crisis. And that's part of what makes New Hampshire primary so special. And a lot of them get insulated. I mean, if you're a first lady or former vice president, say like Biden or some of these other people that have run, or a billionaire like Donald Trump, you don't really get that kind of exposure. I don't think he's got a billion dollars. You don't think? No. Have I you mean, seen Trump Tower? That is I a have. big building. I have. We're getting off topic, though. <laughs> <laughs> what? Let me ask you about the last name Neil was talking about. We had Chris new one. That's got to come with, it's going to be a, a kind of a curse and a blessing, I would imagine. Um, takes away a little of the anonymity, but uh, people want to talk to you. And, yeah, and I've never seen it as a curse. I mean, it comes with a certain set of expectations and responsibilities, I think. But for me, it's always been, you know, I don't know any different. Right. Uh, I have had the benefit of, from the time I was very young, understanding how these macro issues actually affect real people. Because uh, we talked about it all the time as kids, and we understood why our parents were working so hard for what they were fighting for. And so, I mean, it comes with a lot of responsibility, but great opportunity and it's what we know, right? So we do what we gotta do. We got we had another election coming up in twenty twenty. It's always been you do. a family affair, <laughs> right? So I mean I can remember my very first uh, first real campaign experience other than being dragged to presidential primary picnics. What was that? What was the first one? Uh, the, the first one where I actually felt like I was working, although even as a little kid when my mom was was on, you know, staff and running, helping run primary campaigns, I always thought I was working, you know, even as a little kid. But the first one I really remember where I felt like I was contributing was as a sophomore in high school when my mom first ran for the state senate uh, for then District 21. And I remember knocking doors with her and, you know, I was 16 years old and I understood why she was wanting to run. We had a specific issue in our town. There was a toll booth proposed for, for the exit off 95. Uh, and I heard from people about what that was going to mean to students at UNH and to some of our neighbors who uh, were worried. And in hearing firsthand, I mean, as a 16-year-old, was I really that worried about a toll booth? But what I heard was from real people about what the impact of financial 
issues had on their lives and perspective. what they meant. Yeah. Right, it was perspective. So, so what are some big issues now? As a you know, you're a Democratic voter now, going into 2020. What are some of the big issues you think that are out there that are affecting New Hampshire voters? Economic inequality to me is one of the number one issues. I, I think hearing from people firsthand about how hard it is to get ahead and to have confidence that you can do for the next generation more than what was done for you. I mean, college affordability, accessing health care that you can afford, those are things that are right on the top of the list when I talk to when I talk to people and what I hear from people. And our own family, we I have Four children. I have one who's a sophomore in college already, and one who's a senior in high school. And just trying to figure out how to navigate affording college without saddling them with incredible debt is yeah. something that keeps us up at night. And I, you know, I hear all the time what it, you know, what this stress and struggle means for people. Four kids. Four boy. kids. Yeah. Everything is times four when you're <laughs> airline tickets, <laughs> college. I know. My tuition. mother said to me when I was pregnant. She said, "You know, it's not." This is when I was pregnant. My second. It's not twice as hard. It's exponentially harder because the dyna- dynamics get, you know, more difficult and complicated. And that's been very true. And my youngest daughter, I have to give a shout out, turns fifteen tomorrow. Little Caroline. Wow. Which I, you know, I could. I was on the campaign trail with my mom and lots of volunteers from New Hampshire for then uh, Senator John Kerry when I was pregnant with her. So it's hard to believe it's been. 15 and with years. daughters comes weddings. So yeah, really, three right? weddings. I know. That needs to change, don't you think? Yeah, Isn't totally, that antiquated, totally antiquated. No, no notion with the bride's My dad would completely agree with that after paying for three weddings because I have two sisters. So. That's when you start talking about tents are really grateful. Yeah. <laughs> and you have a daughter at Harvard. I do. My oldest, Ellie, who is a sophomore at Harvard. Wow. And she co-authored the book with you. Yes, she did. She's been an incredible source of inspiration for me. Uh, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 8, and her diagnosis completely changed my life. It was really the first time that I was faced with the reality that even when you try to do everything right and you work really hard, bad things can happen. Life happens, yeah. Yeah, bad things happen. And, uh, I mean, it's, you know, we talked about insulin prices and healthcare. You know, I was just reading yesterday that the average family is spending between five and $6,000 a year just in insulin, right? So then you factor in all the other realities of living with diabetes and all the other supplies and all the other trips to the doctors. Um, and, you know, ultimately, if you're unfortunate in being diagnosed with a chronic dis- disease, you're not just unfortunate because you have to live with the disease. It's also the financial implications. Do, are we talking enough about that? I know that We're this not. program's really not geared toward, <laughs> no. you know, the deep policy, but that's an interesting point. Talk about affordability and healthcare. Yeah. Prescription prices. And that's really what, when you talk to the people on the streets, that's what's killing them. Yeah. It's, and it's, you know, with... Diabetes is an interesting example because often people think about type 2 diabetes and they believe there's some way in which people could prevent this. But if you live with type 1, which is an autoimmune disease, you have no control, you, you have no ability to prevent it from happening. And it's a it's a disease that if you don't take insulin today, you could die tomorrow. It's not like this is right. an optional thing. And you and your daughter really have become national heroes on this issue. I remember when you went through this struggle of diagnosing her and how much stress there was and heartache. Um, and then when you wrote the book, I had a friend who was going through the same thing and I invited her to the talk that you gave here at the Institute of Politics. And I remember her, she was just crying and it got the book and it just changed her and gave her some strength to know that there were other people that had gone through the same thing that she did. And so that was really, I thought it was one of the best speeches I've heard here at the Institute of Politics. And by the way, 
So did all my San Anselmo students who loved it. They Excellent. all came and filled up. It was a great speech. So congratulations. Thanks. Well, and I would never consider myself a hero. I do consider Ellie one of my heroes and all the people who have to live every day with type 1 diabetes. Unless you see it up close and personal, you can't possibly appreciate the demand it places on you. And, uh, you know, families like ours and our story is the same as every other family who has type 1 diabetes. It's the same challenges but you tell it and you put a, a spotlight on it and that's that's what's so important um i gotta ask you though anybody who knows you you talk about these issues whether it's the crisis of addiction or you know prescription drug, whatever is is compelling at that moment you feel strongly about and you don't really get into the politics of things so let's ask you about the politics <laughs> of things the accusation of the democratic field is it's going too far left you know way on the other side of bernie sanders oh, i forget the latest catchphrase are you concerned that there's an opportunity that might be missed because uh, certain Democrats might be overplaying their hand? You know what I'm saying? I understand the question. Uh, my concern Maybe is... it wasn't a great... <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't articulate it very well. No, so no, I'm I don't understand. understand the question. Uh, my concern is less about whether the Democrats are doing that or the Republicans are doing it, and more about the need for us as a nation to come together and find common ground. And I think more and more we have gerrymandering of districts and the extreme partisan politics that most Americans don't have any time or energy or propensity for. They don't, it makes them sick because it doesn't help them deal with college affordability. doesn't help them deal with access to health care. Right. doesn't help them get from here to, to tomorrow. Yeah. Right. And I think most Americans want us to come together on common ground. You know, I was listening earlier today to um, the exchange on NHPR and it was the, to the topic was climate change and an independent caller, an independent, someone who identified as an independent voter called in and she said, you know, I hear an extreme position on the right and an extreme position on the left, and I just want to know what, where you all can come together to address climate change. And I think that's true of every issue. I think most, most New Hampshire citizens and most American voters want us to come together. They don't want an extreme on the left, and they don't want an extreme on the right. Well, you can raise money on those extremes, and that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Money fuels politics, and that's what we see. Yes. Um, almost every day. I have an on-the-spot question. So what did yes. Biden say when he called you? <laughs> On-the-spot. She just gave him a look. Yeah, so she was like, like, if like, looks could kill. Yeah. Yeah. I will look forward to welcoming Vice President Biden. <laughs> that's, that's not really an answer, but that's yes. okay. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people speculate that he, he will wind up jumping into this. I'm not so sure, but we'll see. I'm always wrong every time I prognosticate. But when you're mentioned, everyone assumes at one point, there's going to be, your name's going to be a ballot of some sort. How far ahead do you look in that respect? And do you envision yourself running for governor one day, for senate, whatever? Yeah, I, I get that question often, and it's it's hard to look ahead, right, because things change so quickly, and, and I know as the mother of four that, you know, what you think is going to be happening tomorrow could, you know, child gets sick tonight and tomorrow looks very different. So uh, I don't look that far ahead. I do have the benefit of being up close and personal, having watched my parents navigate these decisions. And I do think it takes the right time in your life personally and the right set of circumstances politically to, to feel like you can make the greatest contribution. So uh, I have seen firsthand how much, a diff you know, how much my mother's been able to impact New Hampshire and the country, and I admire her great work. So would that be a... That was I mean, you've, yes. you've been asked the question, <laughs> so that was an answer. Yeah. So that will, I think the, the answer is we'll see. I mean, I, right now I'm focused on trying to figure out how I'm going to afford to get my four kids through college. And Would you like to, do you think? 
I get them through college? Yes, I would like to get them through college. I would like to get them through college. I have very much enjoyed serving uh, on the city council. I very much am new to the police commission, but I'm enjoying that really very much. And I needed to, with the city council, jump in on my own and see, would, would this be something I can see myself doing? Could I be good at it? Would right. I be good at it? And uh, and I enjoyed it. So Do you get to arrest see. people when you're doing that? I don't get to arrest She has a badge, folks, just in case that. you didn't know. Have you, I, have I won't you, be flashing it. Has anybody like, cut you off or anything? You can't flash <laughs> no, the badge. I do, or, I, no, I have not been flashing the badge. That would be the end. I'd, I'd get arrested. <laughs> oh I'd be wielding that thing. like. No. It was, but uh, I can say one of the things I've you know, really uh, admired having now jumped into this role as police commissioner, we have incredible men and women in uniform in Portsmouth and across yeah. the state, and we are lucky for it, I think. you know, This incident not too long ago in Manchester really brings that to the forefront. So... Uh, we're lucky we have people who are willing to serve and do what they do every day, putting themselves in the line of uh, line of harm, harm's way. No question about it. What do you What do you do when you're you're so busy? Yeah. I mean, and and when you're not busy, somebody has something for you to do. <laughs> I'm sure. Yes. Write another book. Like, what do you do for fun? Yeah. What was it like? Was that just the act of writing a book? Was that? I loved writing the book. Yeah. Uh, so the book is called Ellie and Coach: Diabetes, the Fight for My Daughter's Life, and the Dog Who Changed Everything. It's about uh, our journey with. Ellie's diagnosis, and then finding Coach, who's a yellow lab trained to detect changes in her blood sugars. I loved writing the book. It was cathartic in a lot of ways. I worked with Mark D'Agostino, who uh, helped us co-author the book, and he was fantastic to work with. It really has been, it was a joy. I'd love to do it again. I'm trying to get my mom to let me co-author her book, so maybe I'll, you know, having written one with my daughter, maybe I'll get to write one with my mother. At the same time that you wrote the book, you started a business and... You got an advanced degree from what was the name of that place? MIT. MIT. <laughs> <laughs> MIT. Place. Such an understatement. So you got a master's degree right. at MIT as wow. you wrote the book, and yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it just I, that's it. like you got to keep a pretty good calendar to yeah. keep all that together. Well, the good news is I actually I, this has been I, I played volleyball in college, and uh, I always remember thinking it's a good thing. I don't Beach or regular. No, no, regular. I got you. She's yeah. very competitive yes. volleyball player. In fact, you met your husband. Yes. Volleyball. Yes, I got to help finance my college education with a scholarship to play volleyball. Oh, that's so cool. I didn't yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking then it's a good thing I don't need a ton of sleep because I got to, you know, because you're in, you're in the gym or in the classroom and you have a lot of late nights. That's been a benefit for me. And it's helped me with diabetes because when you're trying to make sure your daughter's blood sugar is not going low at 3 in the morning, it's helpful to not need too much sleep. So I did a lot of reading at night, a lot of homework. This is, you see, I love how Neil does the whole, his favorite movies, The Rap, <laughs> or The Lasso, or whatever that is. What's We're, the last movie you watched? Because since he's given me a signal to rap, I'm not following that order. Oh, the last movie I watched. Weekend at Burns. Vice. Um, Did you see Vice? Want to know the real last movie I watched? Yeah. Is The Inventor, about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, the woman who raised a billion dollars on the notion of being able to oh, test yes. blood. Oh, right. yes. That was quite it's a story. On HBO. Oh, yeah. 2020 also, just did a special on that. It's in, yeah. Something it's, else. It's worth watching because yeah. it, it really speaks to. That must um, have been a hoot. Oh, yeah. It was not a hoot. <laughs> but it was not a hoot. But it's worth watching. It's a great it's, story. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing fascinating story. To, I mean, she, she got people to give her a billion dollars. A billion dollars. A billion dollars. With no product, basically. Wow. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah. But when yeah. we figure that out, we'll stop doing podcasts. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for being on this week. This is great. And um, you came all the way over here from Portsmouth. And uh, hopefully we'll have you on again. And we'd like to get some updates from you yes. as candidates come into Portsmouth. Sure. And we take them around and we hear from different people. So thanks again, Stephanie. Thank and 
Looking forward to the next time.